0: The problem like punched us in the face, you know, and like just like hearing the stories of like all the the moms we spoke with and um, whose stories we sought out were just kind of like so devastating, and those conversations were so emotional that I was kind of like, how can we how can we not do something? I felt like there wasn't really any kind of momentum on what are
1: we actually going to do about this, or how are we going to support this. <laughs> labor force of basically working parents and working moms specifically that are just underappreciated not often seen and also just not paid um and given direct appreciation for all that they do
2: hey everyone welcome back to this week's episode of the 501 hustle i am your host vivek and we are here today with pilar and lola how are y'all how are you doing today
0: Doing well. Thanks for having us. Yes,
2: we are doing well. Thank you. Pilar McDonald is a second year student at Brown University, concentrating in environmental studies and public health. Originally from San Francisco.
1: Lola and I are both from San Francisco, and we actually went to middle school together. So have known each other um, since kindergarten when we were, you know, four or five.
2: She has three younger siblings and has enjoyed spending more time with them while taking this year off. She also loves to spend time outside, listen to podcasts and embroider. Lola McAllister is taking time off between her first and second years at Stanford University, where she intends to major in human biology with minors in Spanish and human rights. She's a Bay Area native who grew up with a twin brother and an older brother in a house with two hardworking moms. She's passionate about entrepreneurship for genuine social good. And in her free time, Lola loves to read nonfiction and cook. And together.
1: And so one day we were hanging out together and talking about just all that's going on in the world right now. And, you know, just how the kind of the question of how are you
0: or how has your week been just felt so overwhelming.
2: They created Project Matriarchs. An
0: opportunity to connect like a really incredible and relatively undertapped labor force, which is college students taking time off from school or with like highly flexible schedules due to um, distance learning with moms who just need more support in general and need more support, particularly during the pandemic.
2: And that's the 501 Hustle that we're going to be talking about today.
1: We were using our privilege and the opportunities that our identities have given us to make sure that we were um, focusing on the populations and people who weren't necessarily getting the support that they needed during the pandemic, Um, and so just wanting to spend our time and our resources being able to support working moms.
2: You stumbled upon these moms during this COVID time that were all struggling. Was this something you were out looking for because you'd kind of heard or maybe witnessed with your own parents that was going on? How did you kind of like discover this this need or this problem?
1: Yeah, um, so I think there's definitely a few different avenues that kind of came across that Um, all three of our moms have worked, or so Lola has two moms and I have one mom and all three of them worked throughout kind of our whole childhood and are still working full-time. And so I think that that gave me a lot of appreciation just for kind of what it means to be a parent um, of younger children during a pandemic. And my parents from the first day that we kind of got home from college and my siblings stopped going in person to high school and whatnot, my parents were just very appreciative that. We were at older ages where we were able to navigate um, distance learning and just entertain ourselves by ourselves. Um, and so, my youngest brother was 12 kind of when the pandemic hit. And so, he was definitely still able to log on to his Google Meets for class and stuff by himself. So, my parents were able to work, but he definitely was not able to entertain himself during the whole day and had kind of a lot of mental health struggles within that. And so that made me definitely think just about the other people um, around him. And then of course those younger kids as well. And so um, Lola and I just kind of began doing some outreach to just, specifically other kids in his class, their parents, especially those who also had younger kids and just understanding a little bit more about the experience. And I think that Lola and I set out as we could just help some families, you know, that was in the early summer, that was before kind of pods were starting to develop in terms of bringing kids together and getting someone, whether it's a college student or a teacher or someone outside of that, to be able to add some caretaking and maybe even tutoring or teaching or just babysitting together. Um, And so Lola and I, you know, however small it needs to be, but we just want to be able to alleviate some of this burden because we're finding ourselves either, you know, my classes were on the East Coast all last semester and I was kind of done by 12 p.m. with classes I need to be in most days. And so it felt very, much um, weird like I should be doing something to be able to alleviate some of this burden with this time and energy that I have the option to give. So yeah, it was really just about the conversations we had and then also the three of our mom's work um, work in the medical fields and my mom works for the San Francisco Child Abuse Prevention Center, which is now called Safe and Sound, but that gave us the opportunity to really connect with a realm of different employees who might have children, especially kind of my mom, Work specifically with child abuse and the education spectrum in San Francisco, and so looking at that, and just a lot of the families they work with, and kind of what are the difference of experiences across different racial identities, gender identities, and then of course socioeconomic identities as well. Um, so that really just began the conversation. Lola and I, I think are very lucky to have our parents who were both able to support us because you know they didn't have little kids running and screaming all the time um, and also just had experience raising kids while working. Um, And so having those conversations was definitely very integral to the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think like the, the personal reflections with our own families were really central to like informing our approach and just sympathizing with like the experiences of, of families around us. Cause like, like Pilar said, my parents, when I, Got home, we're saying, thank goodness you all are college age, because I don't know what, what we would be doing. Um, there was very minimal reporting a few months into the pandemic on the disproportionate impact this was already having and going to have on women, particularly mothers, working mothers. Um, And all of that reporting was like simply documenting the problem. And there was a really stark lack of documentation of any sort of solution at any level, whether that's like policy, like corporate policy, any kind of like federal approach or statewide approach, anything like that. There was just very little being done. And we knew obviously we weren't going to come up with a perfect solution at all, but we knew that we could leverage our, our network as college students towards some sort of solution. So that's kind of what we did. And I think there's an additional angle to this that like we feel really personally invested in our mission as well, because we're going to inherit the norms that are being highly informed by the pandemic right now. So like, I don't know, I, something Pilar and I have thought a lot about is that like we, we were we were raised being told that you can do and be whoever and whatever you want to be. And that's something like we've believed and we're so privileged to have been told that message from a very young age. But like, it's really not Completely true. Like, there's a point at which systems are probably going to fail us unless they're fixed. So, there's just like a certain point at which, just like sheer ambition will, will run out, um, and we need to have better systems in place, like before Pilar and my generation enters the workforce, so that we don't face the same struggles that working mothers are currently facing. So, it's not only a fight for working mothers who are already working mothers, but the next generation as well. And working caregivers in general, honestly, working is not just working mothers. That's a we highlight that because it's a reflection of who's being quite disproportionately impacted right now. But hopefully, when our generation becomes parents, uh, there'll be a, a much more equitable distribution of labor on even an interpersonal level. So,
2: so Pilar, you mentioned you know really trying to understand the experience with your brother and what what they were his friends were going through with regard to. Seeing their parents being put under a burden um, to try to adapt to the pandemic with their own personal lifestyles and work styles, but also having to take care of their children. And, you know, Lola, you mentioned that in a lot of the reporting, there was a lot of understanding and trying to highlight this problem. Um, Can you, like, give us a little bit more, maybe a couple anecdotes on, like, paint us this experience that these working mothers or caregivers in general were going through um, and how Project Matriarch really became that solution rather than just, hey, here's the problem?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the most impactful conversations I think that I had and really has stayed with me to this day, um, we had, first of all, side note, we had multiple moms that we were talking with start to tear up on screen and kind of as we were just having these conversations The intention behind any of our questions were not at all to, you know, kind of emote that emotional sensation, but rather to just discuss kind of how can we help or in the ideal situation, what would help look like? Um, And then also just asking how they were feeling today, how they've been feeling the past few weeks. And this was about three months into the pandemic. So obviously a pretty different time than now as caregivers have been stretched even further. But one mom talked to us about how she has talked anecdotally to many of her friends who also identify as working mothers and how they shared that this emotional and physical kind of overload was just so extreme that if they thought about it, they would also begin to cry. And so it was kind of something that just wasn't discussed in any of the, in the beginning of the pandemic, there were, it felt like a lot of kind of, oh, let's do this virtual book club or virtual, you know, drinks on Thursday nights or talk about our kids or something like that, um, that this topic of just, overwhelm and how it's specifically falling on the female identifying parent in a lot of heterosexual relationships just wasn't being discussed because it was almost too emotional to even deal with. Um, and so I think that very much touched me and really just made me want to get this message out, whether it's working specifically with these working parents who are in this right now, but also just the importance for people who don't have to confront um, this care-driven crisis that our country is in right now during a pandemic. And we need to make sure that we were really highlighting these stories.
0: Yeah, I think one more like really important thing to point out is that moms in general in um, heterosexual relationships are being expected to take on so many different roles right now. So we've had people say, you know, I I just can't manage when I come home from work to be both mom and tutor and cook and all of those responsibilities, like I just can't manage. And so we've gotten this, like, to me, it's like a really meaningful kind of like point of efficacy that like Project Matrix is really working as like one one mom told us like, I can return to the role of mom when I'm done with my work at the end of the day. Like I can just be the mom because my kids are being taken care of academically with their project matriarch tutor. And like, that means a lot to us. Like you can be, you know, you can assume the role that you like want to assume, you know, in your own home, which is really lovely. I think um, another just kind of point is that like employment has been hard, especially for single mothers who have to take on Um, caring for their kids while they do remote school completely independently. Um, So doing Project Matriarchs, we've heard, has helped some moms free up time to attend um, more job interviews. They feel comfortable leaving their children engaged on Zoom with their Project Matriarchs tutors, rather than just kind of idle and alone at home. So those are a couple ways and concrete ways in which Project Matriarchs is helping particular families.
2: It's interesting, like, we all have read the the stats or the headlines, like, you know, what working mother's going through or all jobs that were lost in whatever month it was for women. Um, and I think, you know, you read it and you, I guess we try to understand what that really means. But I mean, what you guys are highlighting is we clearly haven't taken into consideration the true emotional impacts and the changes in in lifestyle that that's really going on. I mean, not even being able to talk about it with your spouse or even with you all without tearing up is something I guess I never really thought about um, while, while kind of researching this issue. So you touched on, you know, you're helping these moms be be, assume the role that they want to assume um, and alleviating some of the stress that they're going through by taking care of their kid when it comes to academics. Uh, How exactly do you do that and um, gaining such an unbelievable amount of trust from these moms?
1: So our initial step was really to use social media as a means of outreach, which I think... Social media has many downfalls, but this is definitely something that I've appreciated, especially being able to reach college students. Um, so in terms of our college student outreach, we just sent out a survey basically asking college students, you know, is this something that you'd be interested in? And here is the initial sign up form and really just wanted to jump in. The reason that we really didn't have any launch or gradual opening or test trials was just, we really felt the need in our conversations with the moms. We were getting emails kind of like, when is this? When can I actually get paired with a college student with the families that we'd already talked to and interviewed and had those initial stakeholder conversations with? So we really just pushed it out as fast as we could. Basically what our process looks like now is we find college students and find families. We Open our service to all working parents to provide for their kids. So don't want to discriminate or only provide on the aspect of kind of working mother, if that's how you identify, but just working parents while also being able to highlight the gender issues and inequities that fall within this problem. So college students fill out a form on our survey. It asks questions detailing what days of the week they're able to work, what times of days would work best for them to be able to tutor someone or work with someone virtually, and then um, time zone, just kind of any former tutoring experience, and then just a few other questions. Um, and then they sign up, for an interview through that, so we have those initial interview conversations. Lola and I do the majority of interviewing ourselves, and then we have another friend um, who has helped a ton with those interviews. And so between the three of us, we will interview the college student, discuss more kind of what we expect, what their experience looks like, all of that, Um, and then have a similar form for parents on our website that asks basically the reverse side of those questions detailing what days of the week they need support, what kind of support they're looking for, how old their kids are, how many kids they're looking for, et cetera. Um, and then we developed an algorithm that matches based off of kind of those quantifiable questions in terms of, again, days of the week, time zone, all of that, and then go in more manually to make sure it feels like a good fit. We then email them, ask them to set up an initial Zoom meeting or phone call to discuss you know, the expectations of what this partnership would look like and just kind of grind out more of the scheduling and what that looks like. Um, And then from there, our main involvement is that we are paying all of the college students regardless of what the families are able to pay. So in our initial conversations and research, a lot that came up was how child care, especially during during a pandemic and also, of course, before, but is super inaccessible, especially on the lines of financial status. And so we wanted to make sure that this was um, something, a resource that both higher income and lower income families used and had access to. And so right now, and we can share more about this in a second, but over 60% of our families are paying less than the $15 an hour we are committed to compensating our college students. So some families are paying nothing per hour. Others are paying 5 Some are paying $7 an hour. And then we kind of have um, the $10 and $12 mark as well. And we keep this very open with our families and just ask that they're really able to basically frame it as a weekly donation in terms of however many hours they're planning on using that week, as well as the hourly rate that they feel comfortable with. So some families fluctuate with this, you know, I just got a new job. And so I'm able to contribute $2 more per week. And I want to be able to do that to support my tutor. Um, But of course, we are compensating our tutors $15 an hour, regardless of what the family pays.
2: So parents donate weekly based on what they can provide, but you ensure that your college tutors get $15 an hour. How are you guys financing the money that you're not getting through donations?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, just to reiterate, like Pilar said, around 60% of the families we're working with are not covering that $15 an hour. So we have relied on a small subset of families who are compensating upwards. of So some families are contributing the exact $15 an hour. So that completely covers the cost of a tutor working with one of their children. And then an even smaller subset are contributing upwards of $15 an hour. So all of that excess goes directly towards subsidizing the service for um, some of the lower income families with whom we're working. So I think there's definitely incentive there to to contribute as much as you can because you know you're kind of paying it forward for other families taking advantage of our service. So um, we found that people are are quite generous in that regard. Um, And then additionally, we've just been relying on crowdsourcing. So we've done, we started with a um, GoFundMe. I think we raised around $20,000 that way. Um, Really just grinding out fundraising emails and being persistent and posting all over about it. Um, we are obviously trying to build in more financial sustainability into our model because it's just going to be crucial to our viability, like in the long run. Um, because we want these families, like ideally, we would like our service would become obsolete because these families have. Um, quality affordable alternatives, um, but that's not looking like that's coming anytime soon. So we need to make sure that um, the families can continue to depend on us. So we're we're applying to grants. We are trying to think about different ways in which we could engage um, companies. So one idea we've been working on since the beginning, with like kind of varying degrees of success, um, is a corporate partnership model. So what that would look like is partnering with companies who um, commit to Financing the service for their employees who are caregivers. Um, and we set, we, so we've actually engaged with 15 to 20 companies who have expressed interest in this. However, due to we've, one of our key learnings from this process is that in, when engaging with companies, you have to be incredibly patient because the kind of like the corporate timeline moves incredibly slowly. And there's just a huge number of bureaucratic kind of hoops you have to jump through when engaging in that kind of partnership. So kind of, we've had a lot of preliminary conversations with companies around that and some follow-up. A couple companies are considering doing like a small pilot with us and then scaling from there. But the way we framed it to them is it's it's an opportunity to actualize kind of commitments they've expressed to working caregivers within their company that may have not been, you know, acted on in really concrete ways yet. Um, And it's also, it's also a way to kind of, do a little bit of like philanthropic giving. We have our 501c3 via our fiscal sponsor. So all of their donations all of the money they give to us is tax deductible. So we also, um, we have this kind of like sheet we give them that lays out a few different pricing models, um, all of which include a built-in donations. So we we're trying to suggest that they not only cover the cost for their um, employees, but also help us provide this for mothers whose companies are just never gonna even consider providing this kind of benefit. So we were really hoping that those corporate relationships would help finance the other side of things. Um, we're still very hopeful for that just kind of realized it's not worth spending as much time and energy as we had been on um, as we kind of turn that time and energy towards other things. but those are kind of things that are on the back burner we're trying to exercise our patience um, when it comes to that
2: so when you guys are approaching companies, are you noticing this is something they're they were already considering like for example, dNI initiatives are becoming Really important companies are really recognizing the importance of it and starting to implement it. Um Were you all going in and they were like, Oh my God, we didn't think about this. We didn't understand the burden. Or was it more like, Oh, you are solving an issue that we've been talking about within the company. Do you notice any pushback? What was kind of that, you know, initial talk like?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um I think the main thing that we realized was that there definitely was a need and even if it wasn't always being discussed in the highest levels of management, there are employees across every company that have this need and are struggling with this especially during a pandemic but also before. So we what kind of surprised us and was a fun experience in the beginning was a lot of people from companies actually were just reaching out to us through our website not totally sure kind of how they found us or through that in the very beginning, but that was definitely fun. Um, So had a lot of meetings with people who had reached out to us mainly because they were looking for it for themselves because they had family members or kids themselves who had that experience. And so that was definitely... Interesting because, of course, they were able to kind of be advocates for their company and try to bring it to whoever was above them. But it was a lot of people who weren't the ones necessarily making the decisions who were actually the ones most struggling. And so I think that that was very enlightening for both Lola and I in that upper management and companies across the board, big and small, kind of focusing on everything really need to be focusing on this issue more than they might be. Part of Project Matriarchs, I think, is that, yes, we're able to offer a service and that is something that, of course, we want because that helps parents and families in the meantime and we want to be able to do that in the short term. But we are also just very committed to bringing this up and raising awareness as this is something that parents really across the board and, of course, lower-income moms and mothers in general are experiencing at a disproportional rate. But yeah, every employee kind of will be a caregiver at some point. And so we want companies to really be paying attention to this as something that needs to be addressed through their policies um, as well as through their money and their actions. Um, And so, yeah, we we want to use our, I think time is definitely our most valuable resource at this time because a lot of the other people in these conversations and in this space that we found, you know, have either kids or someone else that they're taking care of themselves, and that's why they're in this fight. And so I think that Lola and I want to make sure that we are kind of using. It's it's hard for an employee who has three kids at home and their job to make this their main issue and be able to spend all of their time advocating to their boss or their employer. And so um, Lola and I definitely want to make sure that we are able to use our resources to kind of help and support in that advocacy because we've definitely just felt the sheer overwhelm that so many parents are facing right now. You know, solutions that are longer term can't always be top of mind.
0: Yeah, I was just, this was reminding me like, it sounds sort of del- self deprecating, but Pilar and I, in the be- beginning, were kind of, you're saying, like, wow, that the fact that these companies are reaching out to like two month old project matriarchs as a potential like solution for their employees who are caregivers is such a testament to the lack of solutions in this space. So that was like not only hopeful that we are actually filling a need that is acute and very much exists, but also kind of discouraging like, holy moly, there is so much work to be done. I was also
1: looking um, this morning at Our intake form from parents. And, you know, it's always very exciting kind of to check how many new families we get. Um, And one of the new families we got today, uh, one of the questions we have on our initial survey, just to kind of gain statistics and also just understand our approach is what could your employer be doing better to support working parents, particularly mothers during the pandemic? Um, And so just asking kind of about their experience with their employer specifically, and just how hard it kind of can be to navigate that. And so a lot of them kind of give specific details about their experience, whether, you know, my child has fallen behind in math and I wish that I had, you know, their math class off so I could learn with them or something. But the most recent family we got just says, God, where do I begin? Um, And that's all they said as an answer. So I think just highlighting kind of the importance and power that a, ha- a employer has to shape um, company culture and just resources with that.
0: Yeah, that actually reminds me of one other thing I wanted to add is like, there's a lot of virtue signaling around this that is not backed by genuine action or actual, like, putting capital behind these issues within companies. Like, there are a bunch of public pledges companies can sign to indicate that they're really committed to working or to supporting their working caregivers during the pandemic, but there are no concrete action items or commitments that you commit to when signing that kind of thing. So there's kind of like, there's this, there's this opportunity to frame yourself in a really favorable light without even really like taking action. And so, yeah, part of what we were saying is like, how can we hold companies who have, you know, attested to these values actually to account?
2: Yeah. So I guess on that vein, uh, are you, besides saying, Hey, you know, donate and Get your working caregivers um on board with us so we can help them out are you giving them maybe ideas for other ways that they can take action as a corporation um with their working caregivers or is that more like next steps
1: um so great question and lola i, I won't um take explaining all of this but i'll just explain the first part so one thing we're actually um working on right now is Kind of going the opposite way and saying that we have connections to this future workforce of college students and young adults. And that, again, isn't, those aren't usually the people that are in these conversations and advocating for um, caregiving policies typically. And so we actually want to be kind of a voice of advocacy towards companies and demanding more for our employers in terms of kind of taking the form of a pledge is our ideal situation. Um, and this kind of looks like college students demanding and signing a pledge and agreeing to a certain, um, quota of what we would expect from our employers, but um, entering the workforce where they can actually indicate that they will only work at companies that provide support for working caregivers. And so we are hoping to just kind of shift the culture around this being something that you can toss to the back burner and is pretty heavily talked about if you kind of Google it or read any of the books that Lil and I have, you know, been reading all year, but there is a lot of information, a lot of stories from working parents and working mothers in particular, just about how Little support there is often from employers and how that is deterring and just enforcing gender roles across the board and across the country. And so we want to take the other aspect of that and make sure that college students are aware of this issue and make sure that we are using our voices to demand more because if no college students, um, you know, Lola goes to Stanford, if no computer science majors from Stanford, if they say they won't work at Apple or Google until both of which do not have very supportive policies for caregivers and parents, if neither say that they're going to work there, kind of what does that leave and how are future employers going to employ people? And so we just want to make sure that this is an issue that looks at it from both ways of how we actually demand more from our employees opposed to kind of what they can offer us.
0: Building off of what Pilar was saying there, I think the the idea with this advocacy is really twofold. It's it's one to kind of kind of to compel our peers to become slightly invested in these problems, um, and then the second piece of that is to use their commitment to these problems to compel corporate change. So if you, it's, it's, we think it's a really promising kind of lever to pull on. Um, Like if we, if we can leverage the next generation of talents, intentions about where to work, against sounds kind of aggressive, but it is really against those companies themselves. Like there's real incentive to respond to the, to the demands that people are making. So I think going back to the first part about personal kind of like personal commitment to these problems it 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 does sound weird to some people our age that they that we think they kind of should be thinking about these things preemptively but I think like so Pilar and I the more we've read about about pregnancy bias about the ways in which having children can set um particularly women back in the workforce. I mean, actually only women, there's a lot of research that shows that men actually get a kind of boost up in their workplace when they have kids, while women fall back and face a lot of bias. So like if, if it sounds like, so Pilar and I just genuinely became more and more scared about our own futures and our ambitions as like personal ambitions, as well as our professional ambitions. So that the desire to be both a mother and someone with an incredibly successful, fulfilling career, like, our, we got scared based off of how, like, the more we read, the more scared we got that that's not possible. That those two realities can't exist hand in hand. So we we think that the more young people kind of think about that, the more they'll realize that it's so important to take action preemptively prior to ent- entering the workforce, so that we don't even like once we get there, it's set up for us to succeed. Especially young women who want to be moms entering the workforce. So um, we think that once once people are younger, people are exposed a little bit more to the topics that Pilar and I have spent so much time reading about, thinking about, talking to experts about. That there will be na- there will be natural investment in these issues that we can then kind of leverage to compel companies to make changes. Um, and in terms of the the details that will be on this pledge, that's yet to be determined. There are some really Awesome frameworks and standards that already exist. For example, um, we just spoke with the founder of Gender Fair, which is an amazing company that kind of—it's it, similar to like a fair trade model where they certify—they certify companies as like gender fair or not. Um, and they have a really concrete list of criteria they use to do that. So in the policies, there's, there's a list of policies they look for. Um, like does the paid paternity leave meet or exceed current standards, um, stuff about childcare, breast milk, shipping and lactation rooms, um, do they publish studies and information about any gender pay gaps or anything like that? So there's there's a lot of really concrete pieces there that we, you know, people have done the work to identify what are the best practices in terms of policies in these spaces. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel in that way. Um, So we're going to look to like experts on that, but then also in conjunction with like combining that with the preferences and expectations of our generation. So there might be more that our generation expects than is the current standard, you know? And so we are going to really do our due diligence in terms of surveying um, our peers as best as we can about what they are thinking about when it comes to workplace environments and norms, both when it comes to like, policies and culture, um, the less tangible pieces, um, to kind of take like the existing knowledge and wisdom and combine it with the preferences and expectations of our generation as we
2: enter the workforce. I think it's interesting. So what you're talking about is shaping company culture, but for two reasons. A to help the working moms and parents in general now, uh, but to also set up our future. And you hinted on how you know you're thinking about your future and you realized how scary you know that could be if it couldn't actually become a reality. And the solution is interesting. It's actually it's leveraging college students in the in the job market and saying take a stand against the companies that you probably grew up hoping you'd get hired by, right? Like I don't know, at Stanford or Brown, we like to want to get hired in consulting or the Googles or the Facebooks. And I guess I would initially think that's scary for a college student to say, hey, you know what, we're going to take a stand against Google, who's going to offer me a six-figure job out of college or or close to it. Um, But I think what you all have effectively at least shown me is if you don't stand up to them, that's a scarier future for us as caregivers than actually standing up to them altogether. So um, I think... I think that's a really, i never really thought about the, the power of college students actually in the job market and, and using our leverage uh, together. So that's, that's super inspiring. Uh, I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. That, that, that seems like something that could be instituted um, pretty quickly. Um, but I know uh, you know you guys have been here for a little bit and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I want to follow up or close with one more type of question. Basically, What can our listeners or our, you know, you talk about our generation, what can they do to join your initiative, help you out, um, and kind of take the next step with you all?
1: So one very concrete way for anyone who is interested to just work with us um, is signing up on our website and kind of beginning the conversation of working with us as a tutor or caregiver. So that's one initial way to get involved. Um, Another way is definitely kind of continuing with us on this advocacy and something that we've been very excited about is Lola and I definitely feel extremely lucky to be able to attend Brown and Stanford, but also just see kind of the insular environments that they can create and just there is a lot of privilege and a lot of seamless, kind of endless opportunity that comes out of that. And so, we are on seventy college campuses throughout the nation and have people working with us throughout that. And so, one thing that you know, if you're listening here today and kind of, oh, I don't think I know anyone at my college or in my circle, whether or not that's on a college campus or just within your friends and family, um, but know other people who might be interested in either working with us as a tutor or need someone kind of as a caretaker please spread the word again. We're just really trying to get out to as many people as possible um, and then One other thing I was just going to mention is kind of as we begin this advocacy and working with college students and young adults, we are definitely going to kind of need a cohort of people who are involved and active and just committed to this issue in the same ways that we are. And so spreading the word is definitely the best way to go about that, but also just understanding and appreciating the caretakers in our life is something that I think I've definitely come more aware of. But just. The way our country and society runs right now, kind of on the backs of unpaid labor, especially women of color and women in general, are often the ones doing that unpaid, unseen labor. And so not only appreciating that, but just understanding the lack of sustainability that that holds. And as we advocate as a younger generation and being these advocates that so many of us are and wanting to pass policies on things like climate change and racial, racial justice and, you know, socioeconomic justice as well and equality there. We can't continue to kind of have these, you know, hate to kind of, necessarily turn it into this but wealthier white men kind of in these places of power both in our companies and politics um, and wanting to make sure that we need to uplift the people who are typically in these caregiving positions whether that be just appreciating and paying for that work so that anyone kind of has incentive to work in those positions that it doesn't have to just be limited to women and specifically women of color um, but also just understanding that if we continue in the status quo whether it be um, at companies or in politics or in government things aren't going to necessarily change in the ways that we want and need them to and so kind of Looking at this as the bottom up issue and making sure that we appreciate and understand that all of that our caregiving society does for us and wanting to whether it's compensate or just
0: appreciate that and that is crucial to progress in many different forms. That really is a good way to to frame our our needs and requests about what people think about. Um, I think additionally, I' have been personally searching for feminist men's organizations on campuses because we are trying to engage young men in these conversations young women have been our young female identifying people for the most part have been have made up the vast majority of of folks who are really motivated to engage with us we do have some amazing young male identifying folks as well but the vast majority um, are female identifying and we think it's like it is crucial if we're going to realize the future we want to in terms of um, more equitable caregiving structures at home and policies to support caregivers that men invest themselves as well. So, if you're listening to this and you are a young man or man who feels committed to these things as well and is at all engaged in like feminist conversations around this, we'd love, really love to hear from you because um, we want to get we want to get young men engaged as well
2: that is amazing. Thank you all so much. I swear every week I get super excited when I talk to people like you all. So I definitely look forward to keeping up with you both Um, and to everyone listening, uh, definitely reach out, join their initiative. I know you just hear the recording, but just seeing their faces on Zoom and talking about it person to person, like you can see the passion uh, and it's just really inspiring. So definitely join them and then look forward to next week. And thank you all for listening. Thank Thank you so much. Lovely to be on here with you.